Today on Blue 58, the Packers are back from their bye week and preparing for a long stretch of uninterrupted football. Before they get down to business, though, let's take a look at how they're shaping up with one quarter of the season in the books. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Mirnick. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. And a full episode it is, just like, uh, just like our last one. Hope you enjoyed a little bit of break of a break from Packers football. Maybe you got some other stuff in this weekend. Had a chance to do some other things, watch some other teams around the league. For me, it's a gorgeous weekend here. Uh, We recently added a smoker in our backyard, combo pit boss grill. Fired that up for the first time, got a chance to play around with that. It was a pretty good bye week, but I'm ready to get back to football. And it felt a little bit weird to not be sitting in front of the podcast microphone on Sunday talking about a Packers game for an episode on Monday. But it is straight football from here on out, hopefully through February, and a Packers Super Bowl championship. And a lot of stuff is going to happen between now and then, and it's going to be exciting to see what takes place. And we'll be here with you for the duration. Before we start down the path of looking at the Packers the rest of the way, wanted to take one last look back at something that I thought was interesting in the first quarter of the season. I have a piece up at acmepackingcompany.com. You'll be able to find a link by the time this podcast, probably about the time this podcast goes out at thepowersweep.com, if not at some point during the day on Wednesday. But it's all about how the Packers rookie class is playing so far. I did a bit of a, a small research project to look at how the Packers 2020 draft class is shaping up in terms of playing time through their first quarter of the season compared to the Packers' last seven or eight or so. We only have snap count data dating back to 2012 in publicly available sources. But from the early going, at least, it looks like the Packers' 2020 draft class is playing at a historically small rate. This is not entirely unexpected, but it's still a little bit weird. So far, including snaps on offense, defense, and on special teams, Packers draft picks, not just all rookies, but just draft picks, for 2020 have played 237 snaps. The next smallest total, dating back to 2012 through the first four games, is 564. There have been a couple draft classes that have been in that 560 range or so. The Packers' 2020 draft class is less than half. There are a little bit more than half of that. That's crazy. There are some obvious reasons why that is. They pick positions they didn't really necessarily need. Jordan Love obviously isn't going to play a whole lot. A.J. Dillon, the very definition of a luxury pick there in the second round. Josiah Dugara has been hurt. Kamal Martin's been hurt, and they didn't have a fourth-round pick. So that wipes out pretty much all of their top five draft picks. But still, they are not getting their rookies on the field at all. I'm really more interested in the historical oddity angle of this. I'm not saying it's good or bad that their their rookies aren't getting on the field, but it is unusual. It's weird, and we probably won't ever see something like this again. This is a very unique confluence of events. So from that perspective alone, I think it's worth, worth pointing out. But there are a couple different ways you can look at this. First, you could be mad right now that the Packers took guys that either haven't or wouldn't have contributed uh, in this first quarter of the season so far. And I think that's that's fair if that's the direction you want to go. There are legitimate criticisms there. Brian Gutekunst did talk 
fairly regularly over the offseason about how he wanted to add talent at receiver, and he didn't do that in the draft. They talked about wanting to trade up in the second round and and get a receiver, but there was a run on receivers in the mid-40s and 50s, and by the time they the last one or so came off the board that they were interested in, they just didn't want to move up anymore. That is, that is sometimes just the way it breaks, and we've talked about that from the beginning. There's There's just a chance that the Packers draft class shaped up the way it did because the board broke really badly for them. That happens. There are numerous ex- historical examples of, uh, of things going one or two picks differently and players ending up in situations where other teams were very eager to take them. Heck, one from Packers history, a couple from Packers history, Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher. You know how the Packers have been starving for a middle linebacker for a generation now, the Packers were very interested in both of those players. In fact, I believe it's the Ray Lewis draft. They actually had the card all made up. They were ready to go to make the pick, and then the Ravens come in and take Ray Lewis. Sometimes that's just how it goes. You can be mad about that. You can be mad at the Packers. You can be mad at the world. I think that's fine. You can also look at this as just kind of a down payment on the future. There's a good chance that the 2020-2021 draft class is going to be a pretty tough read. So maybe if you're taking your big swings, that's the class to do it. Betting on guys that have wacky physical attributes, guys that are just crazy testers, who you haven't really seen on the field all that much because of the everything. Maybe that's your time to do that. And you can also bring along a 2020 class that didn't have to get on the field a whole lot. We'll figure out which of those storylines this is over the coming years. And it should also be pointed out that if Jordan Love turns out to be a great quarterback, either one the Packers can trade and get good return on, or a worthy successor to Aaron Rodgers, any anger over this draft class is going to be moot. It's not going to matter. If you can get a starting caliber quarterback out of your draft class, and he is your starter for a decade, that is the ultimate home run. And the Packers should know that better than most. Brett Favre wasn't a draft pick, but they acquired him with a first-round pick. Aaron Rodgers was. And they've basically had uninterrupted, high-quality starting quarterbacks now since 1992. We're going to be going on 30 years here before too long. So if love turns out to be good, any worries about this draft class are going to be minimal. Check out that whole piece, look at the data. I think you'll find it worth your time. Wanted to talk about a couple things brought up by a listener by the name of George, wrote in a very long and thoughtful email, and I want to take up a couple questions from it. First, he had what I think is a great point on Damon Snacks Harrison. We talked about him briefly last week. He points out, and I'm paraphrasing here, that basically it seems pretty clear that the Packers just didn't want snacks in Green Bay. He was a free agent all summer. They reached out to him, not enough to get him to Green Bay. He's ready to start taking free agent visits. He visits Seattle first because the Packers weren't coming after him as hard as Seattle. Even right now, only on Seattle's practice squad, the Packers could still technically make a play to sign him. George points out it's pretty clear that they just don't want to do that. Whether or not you agree with them wanting Harrison or not, 
I think is irrelevant to the other discussion about the Packers acquisition strategy. And I think it is a praiseworthy strategy here. Even if they liked him, and apparently they did because they were in contact a couple times and he was set to take a visit, but for the fact that he signed with the Seahawks, the Packers pretty clearly had a value on him. And they weren't going to go past that line, try to sweeten the pot, whatever, just to sign this one guy. And I think that is a pretty good strategy in free agency, no matter who you are trying to sign. Got to stick to your guns. No matter how enticing it may be to sign that one guy, trade for that one player, make that one draft pick, chances are the one pick is not going to make or break you. There are exceptions. Aaron Rodgers was just one pick. And he's made the Packers pretty darn good for a long time. But the more important thing is the philosophy. Trust your evaluations. Trust your valuation in the salary cap. And stick to that system. Don't change your rules just for one guy, for one draft pick, for whatever. And I think that proves the Packers are in pretty solid hands. You could even apply this to the wide receiver situation, too. There were wide receivers on the board that the Packers liked in the middle of the second round this spring. They did not want to trade up and get them. In part, probably because they already already traded up to get Jordan Love. I would much rather have my front office stand pat at wide receiver and get a quarterback that they really like, even if you don't necessarily agree with that, with that valuation, than go all in on one wide receiver. How many Super Bowls did Randy Moss, probably the greatest receiver of the last 30 years, win for his teams? It's a pretty easy answer. It's zero. Even on that record-setting 2007 Patriots team, Randy Moss was not the difference in that Super Bowl. One player did not make or break the Patriots that year. It was a team effort. One player is not going to make or break the Packers, whether it's a receiver or Snacks Harrison or anybody else. There are some vulnerabilities injuries-wise, but that's an entirely different conversation. One player acquisition is, acquisition is not going to make your whole season. George also had an interesting question, I thought, about recovery timelines for a couple different players. George specifically asked about Equinemia St. Brown, Kamal Martin, and Alan Lazard. Asking about their individual injuries and how that affects their recovery process. That's a great question. And fortunately for the Packers, and unfortunately for us, EQ and Kamal Martin look like they're about ready to come back. Both of them practiced this week, and the Packers, looking at the numbers on their roster, appear to have two roster spots available. It looks like they may be set for those spots. So it seems their injuries were relatively minor. Minor there in heavy air quotes. Because injuries are really only minor when they happen to other people. One of my favorite bad NFL takes, in fact, is someone describing something as just a minor back injury. There's no such thing as a minor back injury. And nobody ever had a bad back. Boy, I should know that. Once it goes... It seems to just bother you forever. And very rarely, it seems, you have NFL players who have a back injury and it's just healed and gone for good. That is a tangent, though. 
because Alan Lazard's injury remains interesting. He is out for the foreseeable future, being that he's on injured reserve, with a core muscle injury. So let's take a second and dive into that. What is a core muscle injury anyway? It's actually harder to say than you might think. Almost every resource you look at says one specific thing, though. Don't call this a sports hernia injury. That's because of how these injuries work, apparently. Dr. William Myers, the apparent king of the core muscle injury, and the doctor who did Alan Lazard's core muscle injury surgery, as well as that of Greg Jennings a while back, he says there are about eight to 18 different types of core muscle injury. All involve some kind of tear to an abdominal muscle. Many involve the muscle, now cringeworthy warning here, the muscle tearing away from the pubic bone. First, ouch. Secondly, that is what mainly causes the the major pain related to this issue. Usually presents as groin pain. So how do you fix something like this? Well, usually it's just a matter of stitching up a, a couple small tears in a muscle. Sometimes they put a little mesh-like material in there to help it heal faster. Basically, you're just looking to support those torn muscles in the core and let them heal. But every resource that I read researching this today says the thing you have to worry about most is rest. Odell Beckham Jr. had this. Greg Jennings had this. Robert Tanyan had this. Demarius Randall had this. Geronimo Allison had this. A version of this, one of those 18 different versions. But most of those guys that you hear talk about having these core muscle injuries and whether or not they have surgery, they almost all say they weren't 100% until after the season. That's because you're using your core muscles all the time, even when you're not playing football. One article I read researching this talked about how it's not unusual for athletes who have a version of this injury to go through practice or a game get warmed up to the point where you don't feel a ton of pain anymore from the injury, just kind of general weakness, but not really pain. And they can kind of play through it a little bit. They're not going to be 100%, but they'll be able to play through it. But then the next morning or a day later or two days later or whatever, they'll feel excruciating pain just doing something slower, something that takes a a little bit more sustained effort than, than running or cutting, something that's not a quick burst of energy, something that that you need to use your abdominal muscles a little bit more sustained for, like even sitting up in bed can cause a crazy amount of pain. And really, you just need to rest for a long time to get things back to normal. And that's bad news, I think, for Alan Lazard and for the Packers. However, the caveat with everything like this is that every injury is a little bit different. So we just got to wait and see what happens in this individual case. I would not count on Alan Lazard being back to the form that he exhibited in the first two or three games, though, for the rest of the season. If I was going to bet on something, I would say he is at best going to be more of a bit player for the duration of the season, as unfortunate as that may be. Speaking of injuries, we should talk about one more that may be affecting an offensive lineman you may have forgotten. Don't forget about Simon Stepanak. He's currently on the Packers' non-football injury list. NFI list, you'll recall, is for injuries sustained outside of NFL practices and games. And in his case, that is for an ACL tear he had as a member of the Indiana Hoosiers last December, still recovering. So you report to camp with an injury that you had prior to being in the NFL. You go to the non-football injury list. And it's kind of got weird rules, as so many of these 
injured reserve or whatever list kind of do. It's different than the pup list. It's different from injured reserve. The non-football injury list, you have to be on there at least for six weeks of the regular season. You can start practicing after those six weeks, but you cannot be on the active roster until after your team plays eight games. And once you do start practicing, your team has three weeks to evaluate you before you go back on the injury list for good, or they move you to the active roster. I'm not really expecting Mr. Stepanak to make an impact this season, but he's an intriguing prospect. You'll probably be hearing a lot more about by the end of this month, certainly by the end of November. He's interesting because he's a dyed-in-the-wool interior offensive lineman. He's not like John Runyon, doesn't have a background where he played on the outside of the offensive line. He, uh, like Jake Hansen, who also went to injured reserve today, uh, is a is a college interior lineman. 40 starts in college, all at left or right guard. Big dude, 6'4", 316, and strong as heck, 37 reps on the bench. One of his college coaches thought he probably could have broken 40 with a fully healthy knee knee because, oddly enough, that does factor into the bench a little bit. Uh, But bear that in mind. I thought it was worth mentioning, given that we're going to be in a a situation where he's going to be coming off the list here if he has recovered from his ACL tear in the relatively near future. Now for something completely different. I mentioned up top that I wanted to take a look at where the Packers are going, where they're shaping up, how they're shaping up, here one quarter of the way through the season. I was reading through my marketing textbook last weekend. Not something I just do in in my free time. I'm currently enrolled in a two-classes-per-semester MBA program because I just need something else to do, you know, working a full-time job, doing two or three podcasts a week, taking care of a 15-month-old, I figured, you know, why don't we just use up all of our time and uh, and do an MBA in there too? Doing that right now, there's worse ways to spend your time. It is a lot of time though. Anyway, reading the textbook, came across something that I heard about before, have used before on this show, but I'd forgotten about a little bit. The SWOT analysis. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. A four-part tool for evaluating businesses, business ideas, and business strategy. Basically, you list out all of the things that fall into those categories, kind of weigh them together, and they help you evaluate the strength or the healthiness or whatever of your business, your business idea, and so on. You get the idea. It's pretty simple. So I figured let's do that for the Packers. Real quick, run the Packers through this tool, see where they stand one quarter of the way through the season. So strengths, I think, are pretty obvious. The quarterback is a great strength for the Green Bay Packers. What do you even say about Aaron Rodgers at this point? He's playing at a very high level. Bob McGinn, in one of his post-game recap columns for The Athletic, called him professorial, which I think is just a great word to describe how he's playing so far this year. He comes to the line of scrimmage. He is fully in control He's not rushing. He knows exactly what he wants. The crowd noise isn't a factor. He gets to the line, looks at the defense, says, I like that. I don't like that. You are blitzing. The defensive line is doing this. We're going to do this with our protection. Bop, bop, bop. And it's a completion. Or it's a handoff to Aaron Jones that's effective. He is just so in control. He looks like he's reading a menu back of the pocket. And it's one of those situations where he doesn't really know what he's going to get. He's kind of looking at the menu saying, yeah, last time we were here, I had this. It was pretty good, but I don't know. Maybe I want to try something new. But I always get that, and I kind of like it. But you know what? Let's just try Let's try this, and you know, we'll, come, we'll be back here next month, 
anyway. We can try something else. That's the vibe you get from Aaron Rodgers. Related, remember restaurants? Those are pretty great. Haven't been to one of those in a while. Another strength of the Packers so far this year is their offensive line. According to a composite uh, ranking of ESPN's pass block win rate and run block win rate, the Packers have the very best offensive line in the league so far this year by a fairly wide margin. They're great in the run game. They really haven't given up a sack just yet. Most of the pressure on Aaron Rodgers, at least in terms of sacks, has been a result of Aaron Rodgers, and he's he will be the first to admit that. So it's not really a slight at Aaron Rodgers. It's just sometimes the protection doesn't work out and he hasn't gotten the ball out quickly enough. That is a pretty good problem to have. What's more, they're deep. They've got five quality starters, and you can slot in either Billy Turner or Rick Wagner at right tackle. You've got Lucas Patrick, uh, who can step in at guard and do good work. You've got John Runyon, who has done well uh, in some short stints in reserve roles. I think that's a pretty good place to be, and they haven't even played Yash Nyman really yet. He's a great developmental prospect at tackle. That's a pretty healthy, pretty solid offensive line. The weaknesses, though, are also pretty obvious. The defense just generally seems like a weakness, and there are some redeeming qualities here, and we've talked about those a little bit. But if you dropped me through a time portal, knocked me out, whatever, woke me up on a Monday morning after the Packers had played and told me that the Packers had lost for any of the following reasons, I would believe you. You could tell me that the pass defense just gave up 500 yards to somebody, anybody. doesn't really matter who. You could tell me the run defense gave up 275 yards. I would believe you. You could tell me that one receiver was allowed to catch four touchdowns, and I would probably believe you. You could tell me that Alvin Kamara broke 14 tackles on one play and scored a touchdown, and he wasn't even supposed to be playing against the Packers in that particular week in this this hypothetical situation, and I would believe you. Just about any of those things wouldn't be a surprise with how the defense has played so far. And that sounds like I'm being a lot more harsh in the defense than I think they probably even deserve. But I think none of us would really be surprised just looking at how the defense have pl- has played, even if they've been pretty, pretty solid outside of garbage time, even if they've done some interesting things at times. I don't think anybody would be surprised if the defense was the ultimate undoing of the 2020 Packers again. Then, not just the defense generally, but the defensive depth specifically, I think is kind of a sneaky weakness on this team. Maybe not even all that sneaky. The Kenny Clark injury is just one of a few bad situations that could happen for the Packers. As we've spoken about at length over the past couple of shows, Kenny Clark's absence has affected complementary players up and down the Packers' defensive line. Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary have all had their roles affected by Kenny Clark being out. In the back end of the defense, what if Jair Alexander goes down for a long period of time? I personally don't think I'm ready to watch Josh Jackson play 40 to 50 snaps each week. 2020 has been quite stressful enough. Thank you very much. It should be noted that this is not a weakness unique to the Packers. Depth is something that's great to talk about and great to theoretically have, but almost nobody really does. Almost every team in the NFL, I think you find, you'll find if you look around, or is really just a couple injuries away from looking completely different. 
Look at how bad the Atlanta Falcons were coming into the Monday night game a week ago. And then look how different, again, still they looked coming out of that game. They were beat to heck coming in, in their secondary, and somehow it got even worse. That's amazing. And sad if you're a Falcons fan. But just amazing as a neutral observer, relatively neutral, to watch. How does something get that bad that fast for one team? Well, just a couple injuries and things can change pretty quickly. Not unique to the Packers, but something worth watching. Opportunities. Well, let's talk about the defense again. I think there are some real interesting opportunities for growth here. We talked about complementary football. I think as the Packers get healthier here on defense, you're going to see a bump in production from players affected by Kenny Clark being out. So Zadarius Smith had a great game against the Falcons. He could get even better. That helps Preston Smith. That helps Rashawn Gary. It also helps the inside linebackers behind Kenny Clark. One of those inside linebackers is Kamal Martin, who looks to be about ready to return to the active roster. He looks set to be a starter for the Packers before he got hurt near the tail end of training camp. And he seems like he will probably be an upgrade over even uh, Chris Barnes, who's played pretty darn well so far this season, especially for an undrafted free agent who is not the most dynamite athlete in the world. All of those things are real opportunities for for growth on the Packers' defense. On offense, as good as the passing game has been and as good as the offense overall has been, I think there is a real opportunity for growth among the pass catchers on offense. So they're getting Equinemius St. Brown back in theory. I would like to see how he can perform in that Alan Lazard type role. Big slot player working down the field, maybe with slightly even better speed than Alan Lazard. I think Jay Sternberger presents some interesting matchup opportunities um, in the passing game. He may have an opportunity to take on a little bit bigger of a role with Josiah DeGuara out. Tyler Irvin hasn't had more than two targets in a game yet this season. I think it's coming. I think the game where Tyler Irvin really becomes a focus in the passing game is coming. And whoever their H-back ends up being, whether it's Jay Sternberger or John Lovett or somebody else, I think there are opportunities to contribute in the passing game there. A fullback wheel is going to go for a big play at some point this season. I am just certain of that. A fullback's going to leak out of the backfield, suddenly and abruptly turn that route up the sideline and be wide open, and Aaron Rodgers is going to find him, and we're finally all going to be able to say, finally, they've hit that play. They've been teasing it for a year and a half now, and it finally worked out. Finally, threats to the Packers. It's pretty good to be at the top of the NFC, quarter of the way through the season, and the Packers are right up there at the top, but they've got company. Biggest threat, I think, to the Packers right now is the Seahawks. And the Seahawks, as good as they've been, and as good as Russell Wilson has been, are kind of a little bit like the 2019 Packers. Packers last year were dinged for their record in close games. They were overachieving because they won a whole bunch of them. Well, the Seahawks are undefeated so far this year, and they have also gone 3-0 and in one-score games. A lot of people would say that's unsustainable. Maybe an opportunity for a little regression. 
Another threat to the Packers right now, it's going to sound a little bit funny to say this, but the Chicago Bears, I'll wait for your laughter to die off a little bit. Chicago Bears are 4-1, and one, and the Packers are one Taysom Hill fumble away from maybe being beneath the Bears in the NFC North standings, just because they would have only played four games to the Bears five, and that would put them behind the Bears. But still, the Bears are right there with the Packers. And I know that there's a lot to dislike about the Bears, but at a certain point, and usually this is used in a negative sense, but in a positive sense here for the Bears, you are what your record says you are. The Bears may have a lot of warts. The Bears may have a lot of weaknesses. A lot of those weaknesses may be at quarterback. But right now, their record says they are 4-1, and one, and they are right there waiting for the Packers to slip. That is a legitimate threat to the Packers. Not because the Bears are necessarily better than the Packers, but the Bears have beaten who's been put in front of them so far this year. And should the Packers not continue to do the same, the Bears will be right there to step into the top spot of the NFC North. That's my SWOT analysis of the Packers. What do you think? Where are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? for this Packers team. I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts. Let me know wherever you find this podcast, via email, via social media, get at me and we will include your thoughts in our next podcast. That's all I've got for you in this show. I do appreciate you listening in, tuning in, downloading the show and continuing to do so all throughout this season. If you like the show and you think there's somebody else who may benefit from it, go ahead and share it. It's going to help us continue to grow our conversation that we're having around the Packers and help all of us ultimately become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.